0: Well, good morning to you all, and we're in the final week, week eight of our sermon series in Acts chapter two. So if you want to take your Bibles and go back from first Timothy to the book of Acts chapter two, that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. We just read a passage of scripture about the importance of prayer in the life of the church. First Timothy chapter two, verses one through eight, Paul writes to Timothy and says, first of all, First of all, my first word of instruction, and likely his most important word of instruction, is to devote ourselves to prayer. And so this morning we come to the end of our sermon series through Acts chapter 2, verse 42. These last eight weeks we've been considering the things that the early church devoted themselves to. What were those aspects of pursuing Christ that highlighted their community as an early church. And we've been looking at four of those things because there are four things listed in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I'll read that verse for you, and then we will pray together one more time. It says, And they, Luke writing, talking about this early Christian community, these new Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and we come this morning to the final one. The prayers. So let's pray now. Father, what a privilege it is to pray. Because when we pray, we're not just talking out loud to the air. We're not just making words come out of our mouths. We're talking to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of all things. Even as we address you through my mouth this morning in this form of corporate prayer, we know that you hear us because there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave up his life as a ransom for us, that we might have full, free, and ultimate access to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for rending the veil and giving us access to our Father Holy Spirit, thank you for indwelling us and, and enabling us to pray. And sometimes when we can't even get the words out, you groan within us with, word, with groans that are too deep for words. Thank you that we have the Son interceding for us in prayer. We also have the Spirit interceding for us in prayer. And we thank you, Father, that we can address you in prayer because of the work of your Son and your Spirit in our lives. And so this morning, teach us this privilege give us a heart for such a pursuit. Help us not just to think about the what to do and how to do it, but more than that, the great privilege of why we get to do it. And draw our hearts close to you. May our prayer ascend before you this morning as incense, and may it be well-pleasing in your sight, even as we meditate on this theme together this morning in your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last and final aspect of devotion is devoted to the prayers. So this morning, simple outline, I hope, we're going to look at the why, the what, and the how. The why of corporate prayer, the what of corporate prayer, and the how of corporate prayer. Because I think, if you have picked up on it by now, I think Acts 2.42 refers to not just our individual Prayers to God, which are important, but to the corporate prayer of the church. By corporate prayer, I mean the whole church gathered together for prayer. And I think that's what's in view in Acts chapter two, because the article "the" comes before prayers. It's not they, the, the verse doesn't just say "devote yourself to prayer." That would be Colossians chapter four, verse two, says "devote ourselves to prayer." That's a little different here, though. In Acts two forty-two, it says "devote your, They were devoted to the prayers. To the prayers together that the church gave. And we're going to see that throughout the book of Acts, which is what I want us to do here at the very beginning. I want us to kind of survey the book of Acts on the subject of prayer. So if you've got your phone, I hope get it open to the book of Acts. We're going to go to a number of verses. If you've got your Bible, go to the book of Acts. You're already there, hopefully, in Acts chapter 2. And we're just going to do a flyover of the, of the, the importance of prayer in the book of Acts. So first point here, sermon point number one, the why of corporate prayer. And I think this survey through the book of Acts will give you a wonderful picture of what corporate prayer is supposed to look like in the life of a church. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, in our, in our culture today, we, we talk about the importance of, of the things we do and, and how we do them, the what and the how. We just want to get to, the, get to the basics. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to do it. But you know what's more important than being told what and how? First, why? Why? Okay? Because the why sustains the what and the how. If you go to the what and the how, you got no power. You got no incentive. You got no motivation. You have to give the why. The why comes before the what. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the why. Why do we engage in this practice of corporate prayer? What what purpose does it have? Even a casual glance through the book of Acts that reveals that the early church was serious about praying together. They prayed together in the temple and in their homes and when they were sick and when they were filled with the spirit and at meal times and in times of persecution the early church was a praying church again and again we find them all together devoting themselves to prayer so let's look at a couple of those examples first of all acts chapter 1 turn back one chapter acts chapter 1 verse 14 and all these with one accord so this is all the disciples the apostles all these with one accord Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, verse 13. All these, verse 14, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. So they were together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, just an interesting thought here. Okay, they're devoting themselves to prayer here in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. We also see in Acts chapter 1, verse 24, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. So they're chosen a new apostle. Judas has left the fold. They're getting a new guy on the team. And they're devoting themselves to prayer. Okay, what happens immediately following their devotion to prayer? Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And then what follows Pentecost? Well, we've been studying it the last eight weeks, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. Now, I've got a question to start this thing off. If what comes before the outpouring of the Spirit is corporate prayer, What comes after the outpouring of the Spirit is corporate prayer. How important is corporate prayer? If corporate prayer brings in, so to speak, the Spirit, and it results, the pouring out of the Spirit results in more corporate prayer, if you want the Holy Spirit in your life, you won't be with God's people praying with them. Do you think we need more of the Spirit, and do you think we will get him any other way than corporate prayer? You won't. You won't. We will not get him any other way than through devotion to corporate prayer. Now, let's continue the survey. Act- that could be it right there, right? <laughs> that's it. I mean, how, how? what do we need more or want more than the Spirit of God at work in our life in church? I mean, that's it. Case closed, let's pray. Spend the whole rest of the hour praying, and that would be worthwhile. Maybe we should do that. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Remember, we've talked about how they continued attending the temple as well as breaking bread in their homes. So they had a a formal church life and and an informal church life, and they were heading up to the prayer meeting. That's where they're going, going and praying in the temple. At the hour of prayer. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered... So here we got corporate prayer again. When they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with boldness. Do we need more boldness in our day? Do we need more courage? In our day, yes we do, we need courage and boldness to face the transitioning of our culture from a culturally Christian one to a culturally non-Christian one. We are going to need courage and boldness, and we're not going to get it any other way than the filling of the Holy Spirit, and we're not going to get the filling of the Holy Spirit any other way than corporate prayer. So, we get the Spirit... We get boldness and courage that comes from him through devoting ourselves to corporate prayer. And corporate prayer has a powerful gospel effect. Okay, because the Spirit is poured out. Notice Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, and they had everything in common. Why did they say that? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. 33, with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Oh, for great power and great grace comes from great prayer. No other way. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. Verse 36, thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Verse 37, sold a field. That belonged to him and brought the money and laid it. That generosity, where'd that come from? Corporate prayer, pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That's why those verses follow what they were, they followed a prayer meeting. That happened from a prayer meeting. All that generosity, all that love, all that boldness, all that grace came out of a prayer meeting. Acts chapter 6, continuing our survey. Acts chapter 6, we've already reviewed this a little bit earlier in our series. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer these apostles said, as a model of the early elders and to the ministry of the word. What happened as a result of this? Verse 7, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. That's what happens when elders devote themselves to prayer and deacons do what deacons should do. So what happens? The word of God multiplies. The number of disciples increases. The work of God goes forward. Acts chapter 9. In verse 40, prayers are instrumental in the conversion of the worst of sinners. You know, people that you think are really, really far from God, they're never going to come back to God? Pray for them. Acts chapter 9, verse 40, Stephen. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, this is after, this is getting ready to be restored to life here. He said, Tabitha, turning to the body, or he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now, I skipped Stephen, so he's back in Acts 7, but we'll go, we'll go, we'll go back to him later. Okay, so you've got Peter as an example of prayer being instrumental in a, a healing of a person and a raising them up. So let's go back to Acts 7 now and see Stephen's prayer. Now, this is more of a private prayer, but he definitely prayed it publicly. Verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. There's a prayer. And falling on his hands, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. But Saul heard his prayer, and Saul was no doubt impacted. Profoundly by the martyrdom of Stephen, and how he responded so Jesus-like, because of the filling of the Holy Spirit and the great grace that was upon him to forgive those and to pray for those who were stoning him to death. And Paul, the future Saul, the future Apostle Paul, standing there approving of it, no doubt that played a role in his conversion. That very prayer that Stephen prayed. Prayers surrounded every aspect. I won't read every verse in Acts chapter ten and eleven. But prayer surrounds every aspect of the gospel going to the Gentiles. The gospel shifting from this Jewish-centric focus to now going out to the world. Just read Acts chapter 10 and 11 and see how much prayer surrounds every aspect of the crossing over of the gospel to new people groups. If we want to get the gospel to new people groups that don't hurt hear it, which, by the way, is what's holding up the return of Christ, if we don't get the gospel to those people... They won't hear, and they won't believe, and Christ won't return, but we're not going to get the gospel to them if we don't pray. So Acts chapter 12, let's continue to see this. Acts chapter 12, verse 12. When they, he realized this, this is Peter, or this is a reference to Peter's imprisonment. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Verse 13, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Now, where was Peter? Peter was in jail. Now he's here. He got out of jail. How did he get out of jail? People were praying. There was a corporate prayer meeting that got him out of jail. How the angels show up and open the door and... Peter got released. It came out because there was a group of Christians praying. Prayer enabled his release. Prayer delivers us from suffering. You you care about God's people. You care about their suffering. You will gather with the saints and pray. Corporate prayer is a place where we learn to pray for suffering and afflicted members. Peter was a suffering and afflicted apostle in the church. And what did the church do? They prayed together for him. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, in other words, they were praying and, and, and singing and, and worshiping, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Acts chapter 14, verse 23, says something similar. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Let me ask you a question. You want to see missionaries sent out? You want to see new leaders raised up? You want to see the gospel go forward? Got to have corporate prayer. Not going to happen any other way. They're praying before setting aside the first mission's church planting team. Paul and Barnabas, they're being sent. And what are they doing? They're praying, worshiping, fasting, devoting themselves to corporate prayer. And God is giving them wisdom for, and discernment as to how to do this. Acts chapter 16, we just got a couple of more verses. Acts chapter 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. because so they just go and pray on Sunday. That's what they do. Or this is on Saturday. But. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Now let's go to verse 25. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. Do you know what happens when there's corporate prayer meetings on sides of riverbeds? Churches get planted. That's, that's what happens. Churches get planted. Because that's what happened here. This is the birth of the church of Philippi. It happened out of a corporate prayer meeting on a riverside. When Paul and Silas show up and go and join a, a prayer meeting. And then Lydia's converted They get in jail. They're thrown in jail. They're always in jail. All the apostles are always in jail because all they're doing is spreading the gospel and planting churches, and that's what happens. You get thrown in jail. So they're in jail. Then they get released. How? They're, They're praying. They have a little mini prayer meeting, two people in attendance, and then there's an earthquake. Acts chapter 20, verse 36. Prayer is how we grieve when... Times of ministry come to an end. Acts chapter 20, verse 36. This is Paul's last address to the Ephesian elders. He's not going to see them again. Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So prayer enables shared sorrow. It cuts the sorrow in half. Corporate prayer are good places to learn how to mourn with those who mourn. And then finally, Acts chapter 21. Actually, sorry, second to last. This is second to last. Acts chapter 21, verse 5. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home so they 're commending prayers this this corporate prayer meeting is commending Paul to a dangerous situation and certain imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. Prayer builds wonderfully intimate unity and strong community corporate prayer does it causes people to cry together and mourn together and grieve together and also celebrate together acts chapter twenty two final one verse seventeen praying. In worship and receiving guidance to future ministry plans is what we see. Acts chapter two, twenty-two, verse seventeen. When I had returned to the Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw Him saying to me, "Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about Me." Verse twenty-one. And He said, "Go, for I will send you far away from the Gentiles to the Gentiles." How'd that happen in a corporate prayer meeting? He's praying in the temple. So, just that survey alone. Okay, I just want you to stand back and take all that in. Think of, I mean, is it safe to say that God moves the world through small prayer meetings? That's what he does. If we extract ourselves from corporate prayer meetings, you are extracting yourself from the very activity of God. All the things that God does, he's doing Powerful pouring out of the Holy Spirit, bringing great gospel effect, giving boldness and courage, converting the worst of sinners, causing the gospel to cross over to new people groups, releasing people from prison, delivering people from suffering, helping and encouraging afflicted members, setting aside missions teams, raising up new leaders, sending out new leaders, planting new churches, enabling shared sorrow enabling us to bear up in unity and strong community even in the most dangerous of situations and providing guidance to future ministry. That's all the most important stuff in the world. That's the activity of God in the world. It's what he's doing. And so if we're going to care about that and want that and desire that, we're going to plug ourselves into corporate prayer. You say, it's just corporate prayer. You know, I've come to corporate prayer. It doesn't seem like this kind of stuff is happening. You don't know what your prayers are doing. You have no idea. God is doing 15 trillion things through our prayers we have no idea about. And that's what we're going to spend eternity worshiping him for in part. It's finding out all that he did when we talked to him. All that he did, it's going to stun us and amaze us some of it we do get to see and that's amazing so three quick reasons in application of this point then we're going to move through the second two much quicker this was my main point this is the this is the burden of the message is the why of corporate prayer but we'll get to the what and the how in a minute but three quick reasons corporate prayer is so important number one it's public nature the fact that it's a public thing it's not just a private thing right we're supposed to pray privately but God doesn't want you to only pray privately Okay, you're supposed to pray publicly. And when we pray publicly, its public nature serves God's desire to make his glory known. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 quickly. Second, you say, I want God to be known. I want his glory to be seen. I want, I want his fame to spread. Then you've got to be in corporate prayer because that's how it's happening. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. See what happens? When lots of people pray about something and God does something, that increases thanksgiving to God, which increases the glory of God. So if the only person that ever knows about what you're concerned about and what you're praying about is you, that doesn't get God much glory. But if other people know about it and join you in that prayer and God answers that prayer, there is multiplied thanksgiving to God, which brings him multiplied glory. So the public nature of corporate prayer serves God's desire to make his glory known. Second, its didactic nature, that is its teaching function, teaches God's people how to pray. Think about this. If we were only allowed to pray by ourselves, like off in a corner somewhere in our room or in our house or in in our car or whatever, we would not really learn how to pray. I mean, we could. Of course, Jesus teaches us how to pray, models it for us, and tells us what to pray in the Lord's Prayer and all that stuff. But think about it. Chances are most of what you know about prayer, you learn from hearing someone else pray. Mary learned to pray from Hannah. In Luke chapter 1 and First Samuel chapter 2. Because she took her very words that Hannah prayed and prayed them to God herself. Mary learned how to pray from Hannah. Saul, later Paul, doubtless learned something about prayer from Stephen. We already said that. Even Jesus taught his disciples to pray by giving them an example. And by taking them by the hand and leading them together to the place of prayer. In Luke chapter 9 and chapter 11 and verse chapter 22. But praying with others doesn't merely teach us about prayer. We learn lots more about God and His Word when we join other believers in prayer. We learn theology and repentance and right desires. And as we gather together before our Lord, indeed, praying together trains us in the whole life of the Christian faith. We learn how to walk with God by helping each other, by praying together. Think about that. I mean, I. This is humbling, but it's a reality, okay? You will be more formed spiritually by the songs you sing and the prayers you pray with God's people than any sermon I ever preach. And that's okay with me because the goal of my sermons is to get you into those things, the things that are really formative. This has its role. It's important. But you're going to forget it by next Sunday. None of you guys are going to remember my points. Okay? That's okay. That's okay. But I'll tell you what, you won't forget being in prayer meetings and hearing certain people pray and what they prayed. You won't forget singing certain songs. I read your Facebook status updates. Songs' lyrics are on there, not sermon points. Okay, that's fine. I'm not looking for that. But that's that's what's impacting you. Because songs shape us. Prayer shapes us. The things we do together... Where everybody's participating, shape us. It has a teaching and discipling function. Finally, third application, it's communal nature. The communal nature of corporate prayer builds unity through a shared voice for God and affirms the value of every church member. You want to see a divided church, I guarantee it's a church that's not praying together if they were praying together and seeking the Lord together and bearing each other's burdens together and carrying each other's, helping carry each other's crosses together and celebrating together and rejoicing with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, they'd be a unified church because prayer unifies. Gossip divides. Backbiting divides. But not, not corporate prayer. Not corporate prayer. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15. Let's look at that text quickly. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15, or verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, Paul says to this church, and said, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power. So that's the why. That's the why. It's a glorious why, it's a beautiful why, it's an encouraging why, it's a motivating why. I hope you're motivated. I hope you say, wow, I never really thought about that. I knew prayer was important, but I didn't know corporate prayer was that important. I mean, I knew we, I got to pray, you know, prayer is important. No, corporate prayer is really, really important. In fact, you could argue that probably corporate prayer is more in the Bible is more important than individual prayer. So if you've got the choice, you should choose corporately. It doesn't mean you shouldn't pray individually. There's tons of commands to do that, right? But where, where do we see God powerfully at work? Where, where does Paul's instructions and Jesus' instructions about, about the role of prayer in the life of his disciples and how does he teach them to pray and gathers them together and, and all of that? I mean, this is why I know, I know we have the promise in Matthew 18 that where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst. I know that's church discipline, but that's also true of prayer. Also true when we gather together in his name there's a there's a presence of God there that is not when we're when we 're individuals and praying individually as important as that is so that's the big point now we're going to move quickly through the last two smaller points so that's the why of corporate prayer let's look number two at the what the what of corporate prayer what kinds of things do we pray together in corporate prayer well we should obviously pray according to the priorities of scripture what are the things that we should be praying? Well, Jesus told us. We've been praying some of them this morning in songs. You notice that? All of our songs were prayers this morning. We were praying the entire time. Did any of you realize that? Talking to God the whole time. Were you engaged? Were you praying corporately with us for 20 minutes? Because we've been praying nonstop this morning. Except for when I got up here, we've been praying all the time. We were praying as we started, we were praying as we sang. We were praying as Pastor Thad led us. We were praying after Pastor Thad led us. And then we stopped praying after I said amen in my introductory prayer. Well, we've been praying the whole time. Corporate prayer. It's all corporate prayer. And I would argue that those sorts of things that we were praying were biblical priorities. God, as long as you're glorified, doesn't matter what you do with my life. As long as you're glorified. You want to bring me blessing? Great. You want to blame me trial? Great. Be glorified. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Show us Christ. Show us Christ. Reveal your glory to us. I'm missing one. It was the first song we sang in the unbroken set. Help me. Let your kingdom come. That's a really important prayer. All right? Thank you, Esther. So... We we're praying the whole time. So the Lord's Prayer, "Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." The prayers of Paul in the in the New Testament, Ephesians one, Ephesians three, Colossians one; those passages they teach us the priorities that we're to have in prayer. Psalms, the Psalms. My goodness, how important are the Psalms? Ultimately, we pray for things that reflect biblical priorities, as reflected in this series. Can I can I encourage you in something? Okay, I made a copy of this. This is a prayer request sheet, okay? They're out there on the, on the table. Would, would every family take one and would you stick it in your membership directory? And these are the priorities that this ser- series has sought to unpack from Acts chapter 2. They are prayers that I believe reflect the priorities of the Bible. So I'm not going to read this whole sheet right now, but they're, they're basically a summary of everything I've tried to preach the last eight weeks about making the gospel known and people being cut to the heart and repent, learning, people repenting and believing the gospel and the Lord adding to our number those who are being saved and people being converted and baptized and us devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching through private and public study, that we might safeguard it and share it with others, and that we would be devoted to the fellowship, regularly gathering with the church, proactively encouraging our fellow members, helping each other grow by speaking the truth to each other in love, guarding our integrity, guarding our purity, guarding our unity, giving through sharing with the church, support of the church, serving in the church, that we devote ourselves to the Lord's Supper, that we devote ourselves to hospitality, that we devote ourselves to prayer. Those are the things that we need to be praying about. All right? Those are the things. Those are the biblical priorities. Doesn't mean they're the only things we can pray about. We're not praying about other things. If we're not praying about these things. Okay, these things are central. These things are most important. Way more than what we feel like we need to be praying about. These are what we need to be praying about. So pray through the membership directory, please. I know I'm not. I'm going to stop. I'm going to beat that drum until we we do it. Um, so pray, pray, and slide this in there. And this will give you some stuff to pray for your fellow church members, brothers and sisters. Also, come to our Wednesday night corporate prayer meeting if you can. If you're available at six fifteen on a Wednesday night, we'd like you in the learning center, praying with us. I've shown we've shown you this before. This is the graphic. I think it's up there. I'm not going to go through it again, but just to show you we're praying. We're trying to pray biblical priority things. We're praying for matters of our family that concern our heritage family. We're praying about our outreaches and various missions opportunities because we want to see people come to know Jesus. And we know that's not going to happen unless he gives us courage, boldness, and open doors. And that comes through corporate prayer. So if we're not praying, doors aren't going to be open, boldness isn't going to be given, the Spirit isn't going to be poured out, and we need, so we need, to, we need to seek the Lord together. So join us if you can, 6.15 every Wednesday after our meal at 5.30. So that's the what of corporate prayer, okay? So take that sheet, stick it in your directory or in your Bible, and w- by God's grace, commit yourself. You don't have to do this every single day. I, don't, I didn't even put a calendar on here. There's no calendar, no checklist, nothing like that. Just, just to, to, to pray these sorts of things that we've been considering, to pray them into the life of our fellowship, into the life of our church. Please do that. Take one of those and, and pray together. All right. Finally, number three, the how of corporate prayer. Now, these these almost seem trivial as I come to the end of a sermon on prayer because it's more it's it's just more how tos, uh, things that help corporate prayer, things that encourage corporate prayer, and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna share these six things with you. Number one, the how of corporate prayer. When one person prays out loud. Everyone is praying. Now, I know most of y'all know that, okay? But I, I, want, I want to underscore it. Corporate prayer is corporate prayer. It's not me listening to my brother pray or my sister pray. It's not my individual brother or sister having a quiet time in front of me, getting all spiritually worked up, and I'm just kind of like, whoa, they're pretty excited. Or, what, huh, what? Corporate prayer is everybody praying through the voice of the person leading. We are all praying. Listen, corporate prayer is not passive. It's not passive. It's it's not a passive, half drowsy group of listeners. The church is a body at war, it's a body at work. We're working. Which is why we don't come to corporate prayer meetings. Because it's work. Who wants to come to work? We will if the why matters. If God's glory matters above everything else in our lives, we'll get our bees there. <laughs> if we can. Bees means, uh, uh, you know, something. Yeah, bodies. That's good. And there's other parts of our bodies that should be in the seats. So... A church is a prayer. It's it's a body at work, an army at war, a congregation at worship. That's what it is. That's what it is. No matter how big the prayer meeting is, it's a little group of military kingdom builders praying together. We don't go out and assault people and threaten people and cut people and jail people. We pray. That's how our kingdom moves forward because that's how our king told us it moves forward. Peter, put away your sword. So when one person prays out loud, everyone is praying. We're all joining it. Number two, use we instead of I. Use we instead of I. Why? Because we're all praying. So when we pray, we use we instead of I. We say, Lord, we come to you. Lord, we ask of you. Lord, we thank you. Because we are praying through you. And you are thinking for all of us when you are praying. And this is, in fact, jesus the way Jesus taught us to pray, didn't he? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Give us... This day, do you ever think about that? The Lord's Prayer is a corporate prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us, not into deliver us from evil. Okay, so it's we pray because this is the way Jesus taught us to pray. It's not just because we don't like personal pronouns. That's not the point. We are praying, so we need to reflect that in what we say. Now, when we when we use the word we, and we pray we language, this is the leader extending their hand to the church, saying, take it, we, we're praying, take it, take it. If that's what's happening. Now, point number three, this is the hand of the congregation coming back to the person leading. And point number three, say amen. Say amen. Because amen is is taking the hand of the person who's been saying we and saying, thank you, we agree with that. Yes. And we want the Lord to do that. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 16 tells us that we should say amen to, in the context of the, of the gathered church, in worship and in prayer. What does amen mean? Amen means, I agree. That's what amen means. Or this is true. That's what amen means. So when somebody says, in Jesus' name, amen, it's not just the religious kind of thing to say. It's, in Jesus' name, let this happen. Let this be true. And if you want it to happen, you say amen too. Because you want it to happen. You want to see it realized. So using we as the extension of the leader's hand to the congregation, saying amen is the extension of the congregation's hand to the leader. It's a verbal corporate agreement and ownership of what was prayed. We all own it together. We own it together. Then number four, be concise. Be concise. It's a problem for me. I'm a preacher. I talk a lot, okay? But this should be maybe encouragement to some of you guys who feel like you've got to give a theological treatise if you're going to pray. You don't. In fact, you're, being concise actually helps corporate prayer. So lengthened prayer, according to Jesus, is not a virtue, okay? Just because you pray long doesn't mean you pray well. Brevity helps keep everyone engaged, and it prevents mental checkout. And that's why brevity is important, and concision is important, because it keeps us all from drifting to our iPhones, or to whatever thing we want to think about that we got to get done that we're missing cuz we're in a prayer meeting. So, that that's very important, being concise. Number 5, two more. Consider volume. Consider volume. You can pray too loud or you can pray too quiet. Now, thankfully in the morning what we do corporate prayer here in the mornings, we've got the microphones. So, those of you who who lead us, thank you for that, but get up on that mic. Get up on it. And, and let us hear you, okay? And, and you, don't, you don't have to worry about praying too, too, much, too loudly there. My father-in-law is back on the board. He'll shut you down if you get too loud. Um, but pray pray loudly enough so that you can be heard. This is more important, you know, when we don't have amplification. But you have to consider volume. You can't, you've got to be thinking, how are people hearing me uh, when I do this? And then finally, number six, variety is important. Variety is important. Um, we don't just pray about the same things over and over and over again. Um, we pray about physical needs of specific individuals. We pray for those in authority. We pray for other churches. We pray for missionaries. We pray for the persecuted church. We pray for effectiveness in evangelism and evangelism. We can pray for lots of different things. Even Jesus teaches us the value of praying about different things in the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so we pray for God's glory and we pray for his kingdom to come we pray for his will to be done we pray for our daily needs and we pray for our forgiveness and our need to be delivered from temptation and for the lord to be at work in preserving us and so all those things are 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 important and we need to we need to to pray with variety and this falls mostly on us as those who lead corporate prayer to make sure that we are providing that variety and i, I believe we are um, in our corporate prayer meetings we're seeking to to make them uh less To encourage more corporate prayer by providing more things to be praying about on a regular basis. So, just to summarize those when one person prays out loud, everyone is praying. Use we instead of I. Say amen. Be concise. Consider volume and variety is important. And let me just conclude while the worship team, you can come on up. Let me just conclude with this word of encouragement. The reason that we pray corporately, fundamentally, is because it is a birthright of being children of God. And I want to encourage you all to think of it that way. You you don't come to corporate prayer. You come to the living room of your father with his children. Okay? Corporate prayer meetings are getting in God's living room and having the father... Turn to us and say, Kids, ask me whatever you want. Now, how do we get that privilege? We get that privilege because Jesus died for us. We read it at the beginning. We have one mediator between God and man, a mediator is a go between. We don't get access to God. You say, like, God should answer all of my prayers because I'm a creature. That's not the way the Bible thinks. God should answer none of your prayers. You deserve nothing from God. What gives us access to God is Jesus living, dying, and rising in our place and our faith and trust and confidence in him alone. And that provides us access to the unlimited resources of God. So if you're here this morning and you're not sure where you are with God, I would say the most important thing you can do right now is pray. And I want to give you a prayer. You need to pray to God and say, "God, I know that I am a sinful person. I have broken your law and your word countless hundreds of thousands of times, and you are holy and righteous and I am not. And how can a holy righteous God dwell with a wicked person like me?" You say, "I don't see how that's possible, but I know this." Jesus Christ came, you sent your son to live in my place and die in my place and rise again so that I could be forgiven and clothed in a righteousness that was not my own, a holiness that is not my own, so that I can approach your throne and be received as your child. That's the prayer you need to pray. Pray that to God. Seek God, repent of sin, trust in Christ, and you too will be named among God's children. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to meditate on this important subject. How blessed we are, again, to have the privilege of prayer, to, to have access to you. And as we stand now and sing back to you uh, a, a prayer, would you draw our hearts together as the, in this corporate expression of worship. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.